Good morning. Our scripture reading today is from Ephesians uh, chapter 1, verses 1 to 8, and I'll be reading from the New Living Translation. This is a letter from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. I'm writing to God's holy people in Ephesus, who are faithful followers of Christ Jesus. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to, to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He has showered his kindness on us, along with all wisdom and understanding. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Don. Well, good morning to you all. Thanks for being here this morning. I think I have to say thank you for coming. Um, I was showing minus 30 on the car thermometer when I drove in this morning, and I think it's warmed up, so it's only minus 28, so it's not too bad. Hardy Edmontonians, it's good, to be, it's good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. There is a sermon outline, I think, that uh, you have tucked away in your Sunday news, uh, if you want to grab that, might be helpful to you as we uh, study this morning. Imagine a funeral. The preacher is uh, giving the eulogy. And suddenly, the guest of honor pops out of the coffin. No, it really happened. It really did happen. Talea George Sogi of uh, South Africa decided to put his, uh, his, to fake his death as a test. He said, I wanted to know what people would say about me when I'm dead. And he said, I'm satisfied that they spoke the truth about me and not lies. So he said he's going to keep the coffin for his real funeral, <laughs> which might be sooner than he thinks if he keeps pulling stunts like that. We're in Ephesians this morning in a series called Deeper, and we introduced the series last week by talking a little bit about the writer, uh, the author, the Apostle Paul, and uh, the destination of the, of the letter, uh, Ephesus, and in kind of general terms, the context but what we have before us this morning in the passage that Don read uh, is a eulogy. I don't know, have you ever delivered a eulogy? You've been to lots of funerals, I know. Uh, maybe you were asked to deliver a eulogy. How many have had the privilege to deliver a eulogy? number of people, number of people here this morning. Uh, it's an honor to be asked. Uh, if you haven't been asked, maybe one day you will be asked. It's a bit of an intimidating task to say, all you have to say in the best way possible to say it. Uh, a eulogy is a, a piece of writing or a speech uh, that praises someone or something highly, typically the one 
who has just died. So George got inside his coffin so he could listen in to see what was being said about him. I guess he liked what he heard. But I would like us to listen in this morning to hear what God says about us because he gives statements of blessing to us. He eulogizes us with all that we have been given. And uh, so you ask the question, why am I using the word eulogy? Well, because in fact it is the root word in today's text. The word blessing is sometimes rendered praise and the word eulogy is from the same Greek term which means to say a good word or to speak well of someone. So the, the English word eulogy actually comes from the Greek word uh, eulogia which means praise or fine speaking or blessing. And so it's rather intriguing that the Apostle Paul uses this Greek term three times in the Ephesian letter and all in a single verse right here in verse 3 eulogy be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has eulogized us in Christ with every spiritual eulogy in the heavenly places it's like uh, wow this is God's eulogy for us meaning that what he's going to say this is a statement of praise or a statement of blessing to us this is a great panoramic photo of God's blessings that have been poured out upon us because of one reason alone, and that is the fact that we are in Christ. We are in Christ. We are in Christ, and therefore we have all these great statements that are going to come, this, this eulogy, these amazing, amazing blessings that belong to us. So friends, it's an incredible feast incredible blessings, and I can't wait to review some of these blessings with you. Top 10 blessings from God. Only three today, because you'll see why in a moment. Number one, the spiritual blessing of being in Christ. The spiritual blessing of being in Christ. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Now, first of all, I can't help but uh, be moved by the way the Apostle Paul is so engaged personally with Jesus Christ. He is so filled with Christ. He is so aware of Christ's presence in his life. And he writes this letter to the Ephesians which just demonstrates his heart of gratitude for them, his loving concern for them. Remember, he is in prison. He is under arrest. He is in Rome. And he is under arrest. Have you ever been under arrest? Don't answer that. <laughs> if you have been, I'm, I'm sure you weren't preoccupied with Christ. I'm sure you weren't praying for others you were probably saying, just get me out of here. Well, Paul had this Roman soldier sitting right beside him. He is, in fact, chained to the soldier. Uh, pretty hard to concentrate. Imagine writing a letter to a church when you have this big burly guard with B.O. sitting right next to you. 
and, and you're, you're trying to concentrate, you're trying to write a letter, and he's looking over your shoulder at what you're writing, very realistic that this would be happening, and he has bad breath. And you kind of say, step back a minute. But I want you just to imagine this scene under which Paul is writing. Because I want you to see that he was very, very human. I know we call him the Apostle Paul and we elevate him to the place where he didn't really live in the real world. But he did. He did. He's just like us. He puts his pants on one leg at a time. He's just like every one of us. So you have to say, how could he be so God-focused? How could he make a, the, the best of a situation like this? Well, the reason is, verse 3, he knew the spiritual blessing of being in Christ. Paul knows in his heart the spiritual blessings, the benefits already bestowed upon believers because of their intimate association with Jesus Christ. Now, there are some amazing blessings for us as followers, spiritual blessings that God gives us. And God is the initiator of those blessings. We don't initiate the blessings, God does. He is the one who blesses us. He pours out his blessings upon us. Colossians 2.10, And in Christ you have been brought to fullness. And in Christ you have been brought to fullness. Or in the NLT, so you also are complete through your union with Christ. Now, as you know, many of the blessings of God are unseen. The blessings are in the heavenlies, is the, the way the Bible describes it. The blessings are in the heavenlies. Now, those who don't follow Christ are not interested in the blessings in the heavenlies. They're interested in the blessings in the earthlies. Because this is where we live, because this is where we survive, this is where we hope to, to thrive. But if you're a follower of Christ, you have a place in the heavenlies. What does that mean? Well, the heavenlies are the place in which Jesus Christ, where he is right now, and where the believer is seated with him in the heavenlies. We are in Christ, seated with him in the heavenly places which means that the battles that we have are not with flesh and blood, but with satanic powers in the heavenlies. So when we're in Christ, we gain the power and the authority for this earthly walk by realizing the life we have in the heavenlies, being in Christ. And wherever we are, we have this connection in the heavenlies. And that's why Paul could write the, from, from prison, and where he, where he could write with such confidence and he could write by not being perturbed and disturbed at everything that was happening about him. Warren Wiersbe drew an analogy. He said, the President of the United States is not always seated at his desk in the White House, but that executive chair remains, represents the sphere of his life and his power. So no matter where he is, he is the President only because he has the privilege of sitting at that desk. So likewise with the Christian, no matter where he or she may be on this earth, we are always seated in the heavenlies with Jesus Christ. And this is the basis of our power. Isn't that awesome? This is the basis of our power because we're seated with Christ in the heavenlies. So in God's eyes, when you said yes to Christ... 
He took you into his beloved son. So whatever God sees about his son, he now sees about you. This is called your position in Christ. This is your position in Christ. You are in Christ. You couldn't be nearer to God than when you are in Christ. You are in his son. And in the son, you are as close to God's heart as Jesus is. So what does that mean in practical day-to-day living? It means you're secure in Jesus. It means you have power over the enemy because you have your position in him. You, you call upon all the resources that are now available to him. You have confidence in your journey through this life. Aware at that times things are really tough. This is not easy. But you're anchored. You're secure in your relationship with God. And that will never change. You're secure in him. So, friends, let's just keep claiming those blessings. Those blessings of our sonship those blessings of our daughtership uh, in Christ and the awesome knowledge that God looks at us through the lens of his son Jesus Christ and he gives us these same blessings. They're ours. They're ours to claim because we're seated with him in the heavenlies. So that's the first great blessing, the blessing of being in Christ. Secondly, there's the blessing of being chosen. Now listen to these words in the fourth verse. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. Now, glad you're sitting down because this verse will blow you over. Look at it again. Even before He made the world. God loved us. What? He loved us before there was a world. He loved us before there was time. You mean before anything else existed that we call plants or animals or sky or ground or people? That's what it says. He loved you before he made the world. Even before he made the world, God loved us. Uh... Now, are you still sitting? gets even better because it says he chose us in Christ. He chose us. He chose us before the foundation of the world. For before anything was put in place, before anything existed, before there were mountains, before there was grass, before the moon and the stars, before the sun, before the oceans, when none of that existed, God was thinking of us, and he already chose us in Christ. Can you fathom that? Remember I told you last week, I don't understand some of this. I can hardly fathom that he chose me. Appreciated your prayer this morning, Bradley. This is just crazy. This is just crazy that you loved us that much, that we were that precious to you. I can hardly fathom that he chose me, that he knew me, and he chose me before I even existed. You say, I don't get it. Welcome to the club. Nobody gets it. Nobody really gets it. You just believe it. It's all in eternity past. And way back then when creation didn't exist, 
The father was initiating a plan for the future. And in that plan, he said, I choose him. I choose him. I choose her. I choose him. I choose her. I choose him. I choose her. To be in Christ. Now, let me ask you this morning, have you ever prayed, Father, thank you for choosing me. Before there was anything created, before all time, before this universe came into being, you were thinking of me and you were already loving me and you chose me. Father, thank you. Have you ever prayed that? That's quite a prayer. Pray that tomorrow morning when you get up and you get your day started. It'll be one of the strangest prayers that you've ever prayed, but one of the most awesome prayers. Thank you for choosing me. Before I, I existed, before this world existed, that you knew me and you loved me, you chose me. He chose us before the foundation of the world. Before we ever took a breath on this earth, he chose us. You know, uh, books have been written on this one verse. On this one verse alone. This verse forms the cornerstone of, for a doctrine of God's sovereignty called the doctrine of election. We aren't asked to understand the intricacies of election. How does election and free will work? How can God choose us? Isn't it us who choose God? Election, God chooses us. Free will, we choose God how does it work? Which is it? Welcome to the club. I kind of like how John Stott sums it all up. He writes, Now everybody finds the doctrine of election difficult. Uh, didn't I choose God, somebody says? Somebody asks indignantly. To which we must answer, yes, indeed you did, and freely. But only because in eternity God had first chosen you. Or somebody says, didn't I decide for Christ? To which we must reply, yes, indeed, you did, and freely. But only because in eternity, God had first decided for you. <laughs> Friends, uh, don't worry if you can't solve all of this. It's the mystery of, the elec of election. We don't want to systematize it too precisely. These are two railroad tracks running side by side, and they never cross. We have to allow the tension to exist. There can be election, and there can be free will. Some of the best brains of the Christian faith have unsuccessfully tried to resolve this tension. But we have to see why all of this is. What's the reason? Well, he chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. That's the reason. Over in chapter 4, verse 1, Paul puts it another way, that we would walk in a manner worthy of our calling. And so really when it's all said and done, what he wants is a relationship with us. He wants us to respond. He wants us to choose him. He wants us to see who he is and enjoy him and be filled with his presence, just like the Apostle Paul as he writes from prison in Rome. And since God chose us, he wants us to follow him. He wants us to be holy. The word means set apart. 
He wants us to be set apart. He wants us to be without fault. He, and we can only be without fault if we're in Christ. Because when we're in Christ, God looks at his son and he sees, he sees what the son has done and he sees how everyone who has believed in Christ has been forgiven. So how do we respond when you know that you're chosen? Hmm. Ask Queen Victoria if you could. Queen Victoria realized one day when she was a little girl that one day she would be the Queen of England. And the story is told that Victoria was shielded from the fact for many, many years as a little child that she would be eventually the, the ruling monarch of England, lest that knowledge spoil her. And so when her teacher finally did let her discover for himself, for herself, that she would be the Queen of England one day, Victoria's response was, then I will be good. I will be good. What a great response. She could have said, oh, oh then if I'm going to be the queen, then I, I will have control. Well, then I will live life on my own terms. Problem around the globe today is that many world leaders say to themselves, so I'm in power, okay. Well, then I will live as I like. And I will put as much money in safe financial havens around the world as I possibly can so when I need it one day, that I'll have access to it. I won't care for my people. I'll take care of myself. But think, my friends, if we are chosen of God, if we are chosen of God, then how should that make us respond? Well, with much gratitude and by being humble. It should cause us to be so thankful and so re receptive to living how God wants us to live. It's an amazing incentive to follow Christ and just to give him our best. So the purpose of election is sanctification. Another word for being holy and blameless and growing in maturity. So we are chosen, set apart for the fact that we can grow in maturity with Jesus Christ. So to say it again, first the, sp the spiritual blessing of being in Christ, and second the blessing of being chosen, and then the third blessing is because we have been predestined. Oh my. You've got to be sitting down now for sure on this one. It's getting heavier. Verse 5, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. In the New International Version, it actually uses the word, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and his will. Now, I know you've heard the word predestination. And you probably, many of you, have studied this through the years. The word actually means to ordain beforehand or to predetermine. It's a word that primarily refers to what God does for his people who are followers of Christ. Now, just to be clear, nowhere in the Bible are we taught that people are predestined to heaven and some are predestined to hell because the word is only used with reference to God's people. God has predestined 
our adoption. That's the verse we'll look at in verse 5. But you could also go to verse 11. It says he has predestined our future inheritance. It may help to say that Jesus is God's son by nature, by who he is. But we are God's sons and we are God's daughters because we have been adopted into his family. And the picture is one of him walking through the garbage heaps of life. The song picked it up this morning. I'm no longer a slave to sin. It's a picture of a marketplace where sin is rampant and we're, we're, just, we're bound to that sin. But this is the picture of walking through the garbage heaps of life. He walks through the slave market of sin. He saw us in our great need and he loved us and he chose us and he said, you're mine, you're mine, you're mine, you're mine, you're mine, you're mine. I want you in my family. It's not that he said, I want you and I don't want you and I want you and I don't want you. It's not that. It's he said, I want you. I want you, I want all of you to be in my family. He didn't choose some of us for heaven and some for hell, but he chose us and adopted us. So when were we adopted into the family? Well, the moment we believed. The moment we came to Christ and asked him to forgive our sins and to come into our life, start a new life in us, that's the day we came into his adopted family. So when Paul writes to the churches in and around Ephesus, and he says that in love, God adopted them. He is really writing to an abandonment culture. He's writing to a culture where babies were routinely abandoned. I've read that outside the eastern gate of Ephesus, the edge opposite the theater and the harbor, there was a garbage dump where people would frequently bring babies they did not desire. They didn't kill them. They just brought their babies, little babies, and they just left them at the garbage dump. And Paul writes to these people and says, if you've come to know Jesus, your most defining moment isn't who threw you out, but who took you in. He picked you out. He picked you up like from the garbage dump. And he brought you home. Has anyone ever been dumped, abandoned, abandoned by someone close in your life, abandoned by a company, abandoned by a colleague? I read about a fellow whose father left his family uh, when he was two years old, and his, his uh, dad would visit once a year from another city. He would check into a Motel 6, have his two sons spend the weekend with him, and then he would go again. And this man described how his brother at six years old would hang onto his dad's ankles to keep him from leaving again. No, dad, you can't go. You know anything of what that's like? The last three chapters of Ephesians are about behavior and character and issues. There are six chapters in Ephesians, as you know. The first three are theological. The last three are very practical, and they're behavior issues and character issues. But Paul puts the last three chapters on hold to say, before I tell you to behave, I just need you to be reminded that you belong. Your most defining moment is not who threw you out, but who brought you in. And if you've heard the whisper of God and responded to the voice of of Christ, you need to know something that was happening there, that he picked you out. 
that he picked you up, that he brought you home. He adopted you. That's the number one image, adoption. Just whisper those words back to God. He adopted me. That's what Paul is saying for three chapters. The first three chapters really he's saying, remember who you are, remember who you are, remember who you are. Please remember who you are. You've been chosen. I love this little story. Uh, a young mother wrote, I stayed with my parents for several days after the birth of our first child. One afternoon I remarked to my mother that it was surprising that our baby had dark hair since both my husband and I are fair. She said, well, your daddy has black hair. But mom, that doesn't matter, she said, because I'm adopted. With an embarrassed smile, she said the most wonderful words I've ever heard. Oh, I always forget. I always forget you're adopted. In Roman law, way back then, as today in Canadian law, Adopted children have the same rights and they have the same privileges as natural children. Every child was equally part of the family, either biological or adopted. Both are the same, just as it should be. We're all adopted children of God, wonderfully valued. And we pull our chairs up around God's table and we eat and we dine with him, completely accepted and brought into his family. We have all the rights and all the privileges given to us. God doesn't hold back one little bit. He brings us into a beautiful relationship with him. And he puts us around his table. And he loves us. And he welcomes us. We're his children. So here's the question. We're adopted into his family. We believe in the one who adopts us. Well, could we have not believed? Oh, boy. Not if we were chosen. Here's the welcome to the club comment. How does that work? We have human responsibility, but there is also God's predestination. The fact that he has elected us, foreordained that we should know him. So two great truths, the responsibility that we carry, and then there's God's sovereign choice. Someone has put it this way, and this has really helped me. When you walk into the portals of heaven, you will see written, whosoever will may come. And when you walk through and you look back, you will see elect from the foundation of the world. Doesn't that kind of capture the tension? What? I have a responsibility to respond to the gospel. I have a responsibility to share the gospel. I have to take responsibility for responding to the gospel. And now that I know Christ, I have to take responsibility for living in a way that others come to know the Savior. You say, I'd agree with that. But then I have to say that from God's perspective, it's all planned, and he saw that long, long before. They're looking at me funny. Ken, this is a little hard to take in. I know, I know, I told you. But let me add someone else who spoke this way. And I'm going to go right to the top on this one. You can't go any higher. His name is Jesus. 
And he spoke these words, John 15, 16. You didn't choose me. I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit. How do we handle this? Well, personally, I'm really grateful to know Jesus. I can only speak from what I know. I had a sense that I needed to give my life to the Lord. Uh, That's all I knew. I did that as a very young boy. I invited Jesus to take leadership of my life. And I've been trying to grow in him since that first day. But I knew that he forgave my sins. I knew that I got started on a new journey. And so I'm so glad I took that first step. I had no idea at that moment that God had already taken a step toward me. I didn't know that part. But I'm grateful that he did. So I just allowed God to be God, and what he, what he does is so important. But what I need to do to respond is also important. I don't try to say, well, I'm not going to be involved in people's lives because they will come if they're foreordained to come. They will, if they're predetermined to come, they will come. I don't know that side of the equation. That's not my area. Years ago, Charles Spurgeon said it quite uniquely. He was a pastor back in the mid-1800s in a Baptist church in London, And he said, if God had revealed to me that he put a colored stripe down the back of all human beings who are elect, he said, I would spend my days walking up the streets and down the streets of London, lifting up shirt tails to see if they were elected. But because he did not, I preach, whosoever will may come. I think I felt a pressure, some pressure through the years to press people towards a decision. My view now is that I am to be faithful to do what I need to do, faithful to share the message, but to know that it really all rests with God. It's God's responsibility to bring people to himself. I can't do that. That's his job. But this I believe, they will come you might be here this morning and say, well, I'm, I'm never coming. I'm here, but I'm here for different reasons. But I, it's not that. But hold on. God is God. And who knows what it will take. There will be maybe someday the humbling story of God, how God broke through and brought you to himself. And you realize all the time that God loved you and he chose you and he called you to himself. And it took a long time, but finally you chose him. What a day that will be. So the blessing of predestination and being adopted. Blessings from God. God's eulogy to us. Statements of blessing that rest upon us as followers of Christ. The blessing of being in Christ. The blessing of being chosen. The blessing of predestination and being adopted into God's family. Now, as we prepare our hearts to gather around the table this morning, let me just tell you a brief story, and then Pastor Norb and the servers and the worship team are going to come. But it was uh, one of those events that you can never forget witnessing. A skyscraper was going up. Hundreds of people would walk by this uh, building as it was being constructed, and they would look at it and, and just admire that more progress was being made this day. One day, 
They watched as a giant metal beam was raised to a place high on this enormous steel skeleton of the skyscraper. And then something terrifying happened. As the girder came near, a workman leaned out to bring that girder in, but he lost his balance and he fell. Fortunately, he was able to to clutch the end of the giant beam, and he held on with his hands, and he got his feet wrapped around that beam. Uh, And the ground crew operating the crane stopped the, the machine so the man could continue to hold on. But the man's weight situated on one end began to tilt the beam to a vertical position, which would surely cause him to lose his grasp and fall to his death. So just when all seemed lost, something else occurred that that seemed almost miraculous to the onlookers below. Without pause, another worker on the same floor, seeing his friend's predicament, leaped through space and landed on the other end of the girder where his weight leveled the beam. Amidst the applause of the crowd, both men were safely, gradually lowered to the street level. It's one of those things where it's, you say it pays to have a friend in high places, doesn't it? Someone who will literally risk his life to save yours. We're grateful for the great leap of Jesus who knew just what we needed and he came to this world and he rescued us and he brought us safely because he always loved us and he had chosen us and he had called us. So just before Pastor Norb comes, let's pray. So Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you that although Some of this is a little difficult for us to get in our hearts and minds. What we really do know is that you love us deeply. Thank you, Lord, for choosing us and blessing us. Thank you for all that we have in your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you that he came to our rescue. He jumped right in when the situation was so difficult, and he gave his life for us. And so I pray that you'd bless this time around the table as we reflect and we give thanks for the blessings that we have in Jesus. And everybody said, 